0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. We continue in our series today looking into the book of Psalms. Today we're going to study a short psalm that reveals the importance of placing our confidence in God. It's far too easy in our world today that's filled with self-help, self-assurance, and selfishness to think that we can do it on our own, when ultimately we know deep down that our failures are really the product of our striving. Instead, we're going to see that true assurance and success come when we find our confidence in God as our shield and our protector, as the one who hears us when we call out to him, and as the one who lifts up our head. Thanks for listening. What are you afraid of? I wonder if I put a, a question in the sermon notes there, if you were to list it out. What is your greatest fear? Uh, for my uh, daughter, just recently, we had the cookout at our house for all the small groups this past week. And as I was preparing, I asked her to go and close the back garage door because it was open. And as she obediently went, um, she didn't realize that once she closed the door, that was the only light that was giving her awareness of where she was. And as she shut the door... And what do you think she did at that moment? Realizing she was in the dark, she was scared. Yeah, that's right. And just turned and ran to whom? Not her stuffed animals. Who'd she run to? She ran to dad. That's right. Uh, what? That's my whole sermon, practically, folks. That's it. What, what? What are you afraid of? What should you do? You should turn and run to your heavenly father. So there. That's the end. That's the whole thing. And now I gotta get us into the text where we can see where that's true from. But. Think of the fears that you have, maybe more existential than just fear of the dark or maybe more practical. That new prescription's not working. The doctor's appointment turned out not the way I had hoped. Uh, My family that I can't seem to get along with continually uh, over me feel like they're not unified in the faith that I share. Whatever that is for you in your life, God is on your side. And God has a reason for which you face whatever it is that you face. As I was preparing this week, I really felt like this message is for someone today. I don't know. I don't know if that's you, but I believe there is somebody in church this morning that needs to hear this particular message of our God being such a mighty God that when we look to him, we say like we sing, how great thou art. And if you miss that, you will be overcome by your challenges, your turmoils and your temptations. I want you to know that the proportion of your victory over the fears of this life is directly relational to how big your God is in your view. We're going to be in Psalm 3 today. And as we have been walking through the Psalms, as a reminder, I want you to know these were songs. They were songs that were sung within the nation of Israel. And they were purposed upon the need for us to be reminded of truth, not to have a good beat, right? Even though today that's what we like in our music, gotta have a, it's got to have a good beat or have a, uh, a nice melody to it or something that is easy to, uh, to stick in your head. That's not at all what they were concerned with. They were concerned with the training, the education that would come from repeating God's truth in song. This for us means that worship, when we sing, is not an end in and of itself. It's a pattern onto a life of obedience that sees our God greater than our difficulties. And that's really what Psalm 3 is all about. Um, As a point of review, Psalm 1 said that we delight in God's law. You will be blessed, you will be successful in this life, if when you look to God's law, you see it as something to delight in. That really, your ability to read the Bible, how, how are your Bibles at home? Are they dusty? How, how are they doing? Could, 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 could you navigate your way through them? Because if you can't, that means we need some more practice in and through God's word. We've got Bible studies here on Wednesday. You can call me anytime and we'll get together to study God's word. But let me tell you this. You will never do it unless it's a choice that comes from your desire. It comes from a hunger for God's Word. That's not something you find from our world. In fact, you know what our world has done? They have pacified and satisfied themselves with so many other treasures and wonders of this world that they're so full. They don't have any hunger for the meat of God's truth. It's like uh, last night, uh, Emily uh, and Sadie brought Mike and I uh, some dinner. We were, we were cutting, cutting a load of wood and lo and behold, they went to A&W and Sadie got ice cream before the rest of us got ice cream. So when it came time to eat her chicken, was she hungry? No, because she had filled herself up on ice cream already. I, I fear that's a lot of what you and I face in this world. That, that we today have offered so much extra, so much ice cream that really when it comes to God's word, oh, it takes too much effort, It's too hard to chew. Uh, I don't understand, and and, and we lose the desire for it. You won't study God's word without a desire to study God's word and see delight in it. Psalm 2, as a point of review, was looking at the wrong view of God's word. And you'll remember that these were the nations who said, when it comes to God's commands, they saw them like what? Do you remember? It was like chains. It was like shackles. Are you kidding me? Serving God is far too restrictive. All these rules, all these thou shalt nots. And just like my little dog wanting to chase after the car, if he didn't have a leash, where would he be today? Doggy heaven is where he would be today if he didn't have a leash. And in so many ways, God's word for us is that helpful fetter. It's that protection over our lives to show us this is how you ought to live. Not that you and I can attain any sort of righteousness in and of ourselves through it, but it ought to be something that reveals to us the heart of our God. It's not restrictive. It's protective. It's not a chain or a shackle binding you and keeping you from what, quote, unquote, this world says real love and joy and happiness is found. Real love, joy, and happiness is found in obedience to God. So there you go. That's our review Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Today we're in Psalm 3. Um, I've entitled this message, Confidence in the Lord. And let's read through. Psalm 3, only eight short verses, and then we'll have a few observations and we'll conclude this morning. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. But you are a shield. Around me, O Lord, you bestow glory on me and lift my head to the Lord. I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands draw up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God! Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. That's it—a short little psalm. I want to give to you again the structure that we can see what's happening here. In the first two verses, you are given the psalmist's confession of inability. He says, "I, I, I see what I'm facing." I cannot do it. Psalms 3, verses 3 and 4 then give us the attributes of the Lord that he looks to. Verse 5 and 6 give us the results then for the speaker, for the psalmist. And then the last two verses conclude with the ability from the Lord. With that in mind, I would like to just read through it. One more time. Is that okay? Can, can we, now that we kind of know this structure for what to expect, I want you looking for these now as we read through it. Start with me one more time in verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver them. There you have it. That's this, the speaker's inability. Now he's going to look to the Lord. Verse 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. Next, we have the results for the speaker. This attitude of looking toward the Lord—what does this now produce for the psalmist? He says in verse five, "I lie down and sleep; I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands draw up against me on every side." And finally, we have these uh, a confession of God's ability. In verses 7 and 8, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Only two other quick comments before we unpack a little bit of what these verses have to say. The first is, this is the first psalm that has a heading. Did you notice that? Uh, You won't find one in Psalm 1 or Psalm 2. Commentators seem not completely unified on how to take these, but I believe they ought to be read and understood. Whether or not these were written specifically when the author wrote them or something that was compiled at a later date, what they do is they give you insight into what the the psalmist or the speaker was going through at this time. The the historical um, story of David and having his son Absalom come against him and really win over the hearts of the people of Israel such that the king gets exiled from Jerusalem. That's the context here. Everybody is following now after this, this imposter, this rebellious child. That is a consequence of David's own rebellion of his heart. When he sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba and Uriah. And the consequence of the dysfunction of his family has now produced a son who would rather have his father kicked out. And here the anointed one of God, the one who set as the ruler to speak and help the, aid, the people of God. He has to leave the city and march out through the city. That's the context around this. The second thing that I want to show you here that's structural within Psalm 3 is that we have, for the first time, this article written uh, pronounced Selah. Did you notice that three times in here? Again, commentators, they, they actually are unanimous on this. They all say... We don't know what this means. Uh, We think maybe it was a musical notation. Maybe it had to do with a repetition. Maybe it had to do with something that was specific for how the instruments were to respond at this moment of the song. You could think chorus if you're familiar with that. Um, I don't think that's what it was. Um, When I took uh, wisdom literature in Bible college... Uh, My professor, I think, had a very helpful way of encountering and responding to this word, Selah. He said, what you ought to do when you read Selah after a section of verses is you ought to simply pause. You ought to take a moment and allow that which you have just read to just sink in for a moment. Have you ever heard of a pregnant pause? Right, This ability to make a point, but then... Wait for a moment before you move on. I think that's perhaps the best way for us to encounter uh, this uh, article as we're, as we're reading through the Psalms. When you see Selah, don't rush on to the next verse. Allow what you've just read to just sink in for a moment and meditate and touch upon your heart. With that in mind, let's look to this first section here. Verse 1 and 2. <laughs> look at his outlook. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up? against me. Where is he looking right now? What, what does David have his eyes upon? Everybody see it? His enemies. Have you ever had a day like that? <laughs> have you ever had a day where it just feels like, man, ain't nothing going right. Everything It just feels like uh, the phone calls I'm getting are all asking for more of me than I can deliver. My, my job requirements, I'm failing at this. Whatever you would deem enemies around you just seem like they're piling up, piling up, piling up. You know, in our world today you would probably go get a can of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and 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 put on some slippers or find some way of consoling yourself that way. Um, David here looks again not only at what they're where they're at, but what they're saying. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. If you read the story of David leaving Jerusalem because of Absalom's rebellion, there's actually one individual it shows up in uh, 2 Samuel verse uh chapter 16 5 through 8. Uh, his name is Shemai, and Shemai sees David coming and starts pelting him with rocks. Can you imagine this? Like this uh, this little town folk guy sees the king leaving and he starts shouting at the king, "Get out of here! Get out of here, you man of blood!" Um, the men who are with David, one of them says, "You want me to go kill him for you?" <laughs> David says, leave him alone. In fact, you don't even know, perhaps God is the one who put it in his heart to scorn me because of this. What what an amazing view David had. Here, seeing the enemies gather around him, hearing the taunts that come from the people, David does not respond the way we would think someone in the world would respond. Maybe not the way you would respond, not the way his own commander who said, you want me to go cut his head off. He says, God's got this. God may have a reason for this that you and I don't know about. It's hard, though. It's hard sometimes to hear the voices. Do you ever hear the voices? Do you ever know what that's like? When it just feels like you can't sleep at night? Anyone ever get that? Be honest now. When, when, when you've had a falling out with somebody and you start running the conversation through your mind, and pretty soon the clock ticks to 11, ticks to 12, ticks to 1, and you're still just letting those voices go through your head and you can't rest. Um, I remember uh, hearing at, a, I think it was a minor league baseball game, uh, the pitcher's on the mound, and I remember playing little league, and I was terrible. I just I was terrible at little league. Uh, but here the the, the pitcher is getting, and he's doing a terrible job. He's trying to wind up and throw it best he can, and the crowd's saying, "Boo!" Right? This is what you hear coming from the stands. Now, what does that pitcher have to do to be able to throw that ball? What, what what's 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 going to happen to him if he's listening to all those voices? Man, take take him off the mound, right? You got you got to tune all those things out. You've got to remember there's, there's a greater calling upon your life. As Christians, you and I are called to the same, the same thing. You need to be careful who you look at. You need to be careful who you listen to. I want you to see how David changes this. As he looks to the Lord in verse 3, look how God is characterized before him. He says, but you are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me. And lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. This is who David turns to to find strength. When he says that God is a shield around him. The word here for shield in Hebrew literally means to encompass. Or to surround uh, completely like a fence. It's not just a shield that would only be on one side. You know if you're going into battle and you're actually vulnerable from the back. Uh, this, this idea of a shield is an all-encompassing shield around him from any arrow that would come his way. He says, the Lord is my shield. How many of you uh, drove here today and got uh, bugs on your face? Any, anybody get bugs on your face? No? Anyone? Hair uh, all the way thrown back? There's a reason why I'm asking this silly question. Could David see God? Can, can you see God no um, but yet none of you drove here without getting bugs in your teeth or your hair all uh, slicked back it's because you had a shield in front of you did you know that you had a shield you couldn't see it but it was there you had a you had a a windshield protecting you the the whole way here and if you want to know that you might take your windshield for granted on your way home roll your window down and and just (laughs) take your head out and see what that's like. The shield of protection is one that you and I, without even knowing it, got us to this place without all of that which would hit us. When David looks to all that could hit him, when you look to everything in your life that could destroy you, you need to, again, take your eyes off your problem, turn them back to God, and say, He is a shield about me. Nothing can harm me, nothing can touch me. That God would not foreordain for His purpose. And if it is, then I'm going to trust God has a reason for it. Beyond that, not a hair on my head can be touched. Because the creator of the universe put it here. Except for Bob. I don't know what to tell you. There, he's a little missing here. (laughs) When he says that you bestow glory on me, this idea of glory means that you have shown me to be protected and loved. It's the idea that of all of those out there on the earth, the Lord's face shines upon David. And that the lifting up of David's gaze is one that's given because God chose him. Because God loves him. Do you know the same is true for you? Hear me this morning. God loves you. He has chosen you. He has bestowed his glory upon you. It's the idea of the... um, the poor ugly duckling metaphor in, in middle school or high school and, and prom is around the corner and she has nobody to ask her to the dance and maybe she's got glasses that she's really self-conscious about. But then the, the prom king or, or, or the captain of the football team uh, says, will you go with me? How does she feel then? How does she feel in that moment? Just like, wow, chose me. It's a, it's a crude metaphor, but it's the same one for how God has looked to you. You didn't deserve it. There's nothing delightful in your life or mine. We were enemies against God. But he chose you. He bestowed his glory upon you. And at any moment, your eyes would fall again and you would say, woe is me, how can I face what I'm facing in life? Hold on a minute. Remember, he's a shield around you. He lifts your gaze to say, no, I can move forward. Not only that, but the last part here in in verse 4, when he says, I cry out or to the Lord, I cry aloud. What does God do? He answers. God answers. Now, I don't want to get you discouraged on this because you will have times in your life when you cry out to God and you're like, uh, crickets. I'm not hearing anything. This is where you do exactly what David has done. You remind yourself, even if I don't hear from him at this moment, he is a shield about me. And then secondly, might I just submit to you one reason you might not be hearing is because you're not reading what he said. You and I need to be reminded of God's truth not gorging ourselves on the ice creams of our world that we don't have an appetite for God's Word. If you want to hear from God, read what He has said. And so many of the things that you face in life are going to find resolution knowing that which God has already spoken to us. But God answers. Um, you know, God answers in three ways when you pray to Him. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, and then sometimes not yet. Just wait, right? But He answers. Now, you and I are good with the yeses, right? Come on, you're, we're good with the yeses. Lord, give me a million dollars, or whatever it might be that you want. You and I want relief from what we face, but sometimes it's just going to have to take a little bit longer. Uh, my son has these uh, guinea pigs. He got them for his birthday. Yes, our house smells like guinea pigs. Now, you can talk <laughs> to my wife about that. Uh, more, poor little guinea pig got um, this uh, fungus on the corner of his, uh, his mouth, and we weren't sure what it was. And so, did I already preach on this? I can't remember if I said this or not. But I, it's a Bible study. Yeah, I, I had to take this $14 guinea pig to the vet. Now, how thrilled do you think I was to do that? I tell you, he, we could have had a brand new guinea pig. Would have worked out fine. Now, the solution for the turmoil that this rodent was in is a matter of applying, it's like Tenactin, it's an antifungal cream, right? Now, did that fix like that? Was, was that done overnight? No, it, it, look, it, it took time. And, and actually, I think that this little animal is actually learning a little bit, not that I can think within the psyche of this animal, um, but learning of the love of my son, because now my son has to handle him and has to hold him real close in these moments. And when he's, because he doesn't like to get that stuff rubbed on him. He, he, he doesn't know what's happening. But what he's discovering is that my son does love him. And my son holds him dear and holds him close in those moments. This is what God does for you. And so if you don't get a yes to your prayer, like you want right away, if you get a no or a just away, just know that's because God is working on it and he's got you. And it might feel like the pain is still there and I don't like it. I want it to be done with. But you will be grown through that difficulty, just like David was and has come to know God all the closer because of the trials that he faced. All right. Thirdly, we now have the results. And this is awesome. Watch this now. Verse 5, after David changes his perspective, God is a shield around me. He answers me. He bestows glory upon me. What does he do in verse 5? I lie down and oh, sleep. When I was serving as a missionary, uh, first of all, it's an a extremely difficult taxing job, um, especially the, the load that uh, my wife and I took upon for, for the ministry that God gave us there. But when you are struggling with interpersonal conflict at the same time. I'll tell you that, that's like a gravel in my gears that shuts me right down. And for a course of many months over our time there, um, I, I started to encounter panic attacks. Has anyone ever gone through that? What it's like to feel like your chest is beating out of, or your heart's beating out of your chest and your breath is not there. And, and you're, gonna, you're just gonna die is how it felt. That is not fun at all. And the only thing that I could think about when I would lie down are those dysfunctional relationships that aren't what they should be and my inability to correct it. That's exactly what David was facing. Maybe that's what you're facing today. When David saw that the crowds around him were saying, get out of here, we don't want you anymore. His answer was not to look at the problem, but was to shift his view and look to his God who was a shield. And once he did that, what happened when 10.30 came and he hit his head on his pillow, he could sleep. How awesome is that? That rest is something that is afforded to you because you know the God who is your shield. Uh, the, the power went out in Iron Mountain last night. Anybody else experience that? The, the current was off. Yeah. So um, our, our smoke detector was, uh, has a little battery in it when it's not plugged in. And so it decided to chirp the whole night long, beep, I'm looking forward, beep, I I, I mean, it's driving me nuts, but more than it was driving me nuts, it was driving our little dog nuts, he was so afraid, he didn't know what was going on, so this was the funny part, my wife probably doesn't think it's funny, but I thought it was funny, Um, he would climb as she's laying in bed, he would climb on her head, he was so afraid, he would climb right up on her, because where did he feel safest? Right next to her. That's where he felt the safest. And you know what was amazing? As soon as he was right on top of her, <laughs> he fell asleep. Look, look at David's response here in verse 5. He says, I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. This word sustain in the Hebrew means uplift. He, he holds me up. I can rest upon him he is the safe arms by which i can run to and find i'm i'm uh swept up in that i don't have to fear because he is holding me up when i would otherwise fall he holds me and you can rest just like our little dog was able to rest Um, you don't you don't have to fear when you see god as your shield In fact, that is the response that you and I need to have and it's the response if you look into verse 6 that David has. This is amazing because by all accounts, if you were David and you saw I've got the armies coming against me, you'd be afraid. I'm just on it. You would be afraid. What does David say in verse 6? This is awesome. He says, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Because where is God a shield again for him? Just in front? On every side. Let's Come on, guys. It's all right. Let's go. You, you, you want to attack me? Okay, good luck. You don't know who I got on my side. God is on my side. Therefore, I don't fear. Have you ever been walking near the edge of a cliff? And uh, what do they say to you when, when you're walking near the edge? Don't look? No. Yeah, because what happens if you look down? Right? Now, there again, and... Um, <laughs> My, uh, my kids were at City Park, and there's this big rock they climbed up on. And Sadie up on the rock, she thinks she's a superhero. And I say, jump to me. And so she does this. Okay, I'll do this. <laughs> it's a, it's a, come on. I mean, I, am I going to catch her, yes or no? Yeah. Yes, I want her to just leap into my arms because I'm going to catch her. But there's a, what did she do? She looked. Yeah, when she's looking up, she feels this strength. But when she looks down at what she's facing, what was her problem? She set her gaze upon what? The wrong thing. She wasn't looking at the one who is her protector, her shield, the one who can lift her up. She was looking at the depth that she might fall in. All right, lastly here, verses 7 and 8. We now have the ability of the Lord. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. How how awesome is that? Did you hear again in verse 1? What were they saying? I say verse 2, what were the people saying? God God will not deliver you. And then what does he say? Deliver me, oh God. I don't care what they say. Who's, is David listening to them anymore? No, no. he's listening to God. He, he, has, he has learned to tune them out like the pitcher on the mound. He's learned to focus so that I don't face the jeers or the opposition around me. I listen to truth. I don't listen to the lies. Deliver me, God. And he says it with such a confidence that he knows that God will. When, uh, when we were in the Caribbean, and I shared with you last week of the hurricane that I thought I might have a little fun in. Remember that? Um, That same night, the hurricane got much worse. And that was why I went back inside, honestly. But um, my wife, very well prepared, had set up enough food and water for two years, felt like. I mean, she was well supplied for what we needed. Um, And we hunkered down in the tiniest room that we had, protected by uh, four cement walls, um, I remember thinking, though, it, it's getting, it's getting kind of dangerous out there. It's getting loud. And if you've ever been through a hurricane, um, the thing of being in an enclosed room is that your imagination actually starts to run a little bit more wild than what, it, what is going on outside. And at one point, I remember thinking, it can't get any worse than this. And then the, the wind would get louder. And I'd say, it can't get any worse than this. And the wind would get louder. To me, it actually felt like as the, as the room would shake, from the wind, like a freight train. You know how it feels when the train comes by and the ground shakes like that. Like it was rubbing up against the side of my wall is what it felt like. And we had Micah in there with us, and, and we, we tucked him underneath the desk in case something were to fall on him. At least it would fall on the desk. And Emily and I, it's it's getting it's late. We can't sleep. We're looking at each other, and then we looked at Micah, and this is what he uh, looked like in the in the middle of the storm. Right in the middle of the turmoil, he can sleep. He has rest. He has full confidence that his mom and dad are going to take care of him. This is exactly David's response to God. Arise, O God, deliver me. He says then in verse 7, Strike all, the en- all of my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. I don't think I need to do much in terms of interpretation on this. What's he really asking for here? Punch them where? Punch them in the mouth. That's it. This is what David in a very poetic way is saying. Um, Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break all their teeth. Now, you might feel that way sometimes, but remember, it's not good for you to punch people. Does the pastor need to say that? I don't think he even needs to say that. But you're, you're okay to ask God to shut somebody up. Maybe you learn how to deliver the love of God to your enemy because this is what Jesus calls us to, to love our enemies. But just know that for those who speak against God, yeah, the day will come where their mouths are shut up. David has such confidence in God, confidence that allows him to rest like a baby, but confidence that says he will deliver me because he will shut the mouths of these who are speaking against me. And then lastly, verse 8, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be upon your people. I have just two conclusions for you on this, and they really are very self-evident. The first is that confidence in self leads to anxiety. If, if you're going through anything in your life right now where you feel just this, just this strain, and if I'm honest with the church this morning, that's kind of been my week this week. I feel like uh, uh, undergoing a bit of maybe spiritual warfare for God, trying to or the evil one, God allowing the evil one to just. Speak things that aren't true. And I continually have to like put these, put these aside. Do you know why I feel weak in those things? Because where's my confidence? No. Yeah. When, I, when I'm thinking about how, how am I going to get people to come to church? How am I going to encourage people to, to give to the baby bottles? How am I going to? All, all, and, and it even plagues me this morning. This is not part of my sermon, by the way. I'm just talking right now. Um, when I... <laughs> when I was even here this morning just feeling the anxiety like you know we put the chairs out in the back I wonder if anyone will be seated in them we, we missed all the, the Hallsworth clan yesterday and our, you, you know we lose a lot of kids when the Hallsworth aren't here <laughs> yeah. and like are we going to have any kids show up and then as I just saw um, and, and guests and visitors joining us and the seats filled again just reminded you know this doesn't actually rely on who? this doesn't rely on me could you say that pastor this doesn't rely on you? thank you you can tell me that sometime if you just see me just uh, just, this is God's church not my own but see the anxiety comes when I'm putting confidence in myself if you want to know where you can find peace and fearlessness it's because you put your confidence in the Lord put your confidence in the Lord and if what you're facing today and you're not getting a yes if you're getting a, a no or a wait remind yourself of truth He is a shield around me. No one can touch me. He bestows glory on me. He lifts my head and He does answer me. My confidence is not in myself. It's in God. And when I place my confidence there, I don't have to worry about attendance in church. I don't have to worry about the giving and the play. I don't have to worry about these things. I can rest at night. And I can fearlessly... And for a pastor, preach God's truth without regard for whether you're offended by that or not. This is truth. And so, however that gets applied to your life, that's how it applies to mine. I need to put my confidence not in my ability to dazzle. I need to put my confidence in God's ability to speak truth through my humble obedience to do what he's called me to do. You need to do the same thing. What is God asking of you? What is God calling you to that would cause you to say... Man, in myself, I can't do this. Shift your gaze off of the turmoil. Shift your gaze off of the problem. Look once more to the God who has chosen you and who loves you. And you will find at night, what will you be able to do? Rest, right? And when it comes time to take a stand before whatever enemies, you will be fearless. Here's the applic- or, uh, how, how to do that. This is what I want to give you in terms of application. Number one, look to God and not to your situation. This is just me being very practical with you. All right, pastor, I believe you. I need to put my confidence in the Lord. How do I do that? Stop looking at your situation and look to God. Do You guys remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph here, um, one of the youngest of all his brothers. He's hated by his brothers. He's ridiculed and tormented by them. He's really an outcast. Eventually, he says that he's essentially kidnapped by them, thrown in a pit, and left for dead. Now, how would you respond to that moment? No, oh, I feel like this pretty, pretty low moment in my life. Not only that, but then he sold his brother's family, sells him into slavery. And there in slavery, he's falsely accused by his master's wife, mistreated, and um, almost framed for something he didn't do, the punishment which is being thrown in jail. How's God doing on Joseph's prayers? Oh, it's just where I wanted to be, Lord. And then eventually. Through a faithfulness and a confidence in God, Joseph, at the end of his life, having now been positioned to a place that would have never got there had it not been through these string of terrible incidents that he was looking at the whole time, being like, why God, why God, why God? Or at least you and I would have been. He, having shifted his focus to say, God is my shield. He will lead and take care of me, for he has chosen me. Says at the very end, in the presence of his family, who would starve without him, guys, what you did, you meant for evil. But God meant for good. You will be able to do that same thing. And it starts by taking your gaze off of what you're facing and putting it on God. So look to God, not your situation. Secondly, cry out to God. This is exactly what verse 4 tells us. David cries out to God. Sometimes I think this is one of the places where you and I stumble the most. I know I do. This, by the way, this is the point where you will reveal whether you're putting confidence in yourself or confidence in God. When I, when I was um, when I was young, honestly, probably still to this day, when I'm facing something that's a challenge and somebody shows up, hey, can I give you a hand with that? Do you know what my tendency to say is? Yeah. Well, you guys know me pretty well, apparently. <laughs> no, I got this. I got this. Let, let me give it. A, let me figure it out. Why? Because where am I putting confidence? myself and i think we do that in our spiritual life very often you're going to face things and maybe your tendency will be like mine to say i'll figure it out i'm just gonna work harder i'm just gonna knuckle down i'm gonna work my way through it when all the while god's there saying hey can i give you a hand with that Yes, hold on let me let me give a (laughs) shot try out to him don't own this you, your lack of crying out to him will reveal where your confidence lies. So I'm, I'm laying it out for you. It's simple. Number one, look to him, not your situation. Secondly, cry out to him. And then thirdly, get going. Walk by faith. Trust that God is actually going to do what he's promised to do in your life. And regardless of what that means in terms of what you thought it should look like, trust that he's going to use it for good, just like in Joseph's life. Whatever has happened that the world meant for evil, the devil meant for evil... God's going to use it for good. He's not going to, you're not going to see the result unless you move, unless you and I walk by faith and actually take those steps. I'm not knowing what it will look like. So here's my last application. I want to ask you and ask you to ask yourself the question, who are you looking at? And who are you listening to? That's really what it comes down to. Is your God how great thou art? Is your God, as the choir sang already from Martin Luther's wonderful uh, hymn, A mighty fortress is our God. That that concept of being this shield all around. And the battle is won. Do you remember the verse? right? The battle is the Lord's and the battle is already won by him. You're not going to see that if you're not looking to the right place. If you're not listening to the right voices. I conclude this morning with the poetic words of the hymn writer. He says this, Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. And I'll still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee and help thee. I'll cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify thee, thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, will be Thy supply, the flame, shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath learned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That so though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no never, nor never forsake. Amen. Let's pray this.